available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome everyone back to the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 football. We got an exciting week of games to recap, David. Week 5 Everybody played. It was great. It was tremendous. We laughed. We cried. We had moments of joy. We had moments of sorrow. It was uh, truly a breathtaking experience. And we made it through all together, every one of us. I didn't have to make any X's on the schedule except, you know, moving uh, the Washington State game from Friday to Sunday. But still, all the games happened. So we'll recap all of those. We're going to preview the final regular season week of college football in the Pac-12, week six. If you have any questions or comments for us, pac12podcast at gmail.com is the email address. Or if you'd rather call or text us, you can do that too. 424 532 is the number. You can tweet at us at Pac-12 Podcast. The website where you can find all the old episodes is pac12podcast.com. We're up on the Reddit Podcast of Champions. I tried to post there a little bit. And then on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe. Please leave us a five-star review. Any kind of feedback you have, take shots at us. But the important thing, Dave, and I think we got a new one. We got we need a five star review. That's all we need. All you need to know is that it needs to be five stars. You can actually just write vulgarities in here. Actually, I don't know if that's up to Apple's terms of use. I don't really care. If you just want to write vulgarities at us, that is fine. Be creative. Maybe you have to do that to get past the filter. We don't care. As long as you give us those five beautiful orange stars. We have a new one. From our man Deemer, or our woman Deemer, we don't know. Deemer uh, brings me back to my childhood. Actually, uh, could be anybody, yeah. man, woman. We're we're we are we are gender friendly here. We are, Deemer yes. brings me back to my childhood, hearing Ryan and Dave bicker about COVID protocols, or about how Dave doesn't answer texts in a timely manner, or how Ryan has to do all of the work takes me back to being a child in the backseat of my parents' station wagon listening to them argue. Hopefully, unlike my parents, Ryan and Dave can stay together for years to come because I do really enjoy hearing the parts of the podcast that don't bring me PTSD. Okay. Well, I, I like, like it. it. I like it. We got a picture of a uh, deep, dark childhood here. Um, some insults, I think. But uh, also, <laughs> I think on balance, I think he enjoys the show. That's great. That's exactly what we want. If you can tell us a dark story from your childhood and link it back to our podcast, that's all we can ask for in a in a in a in a podcast review. Yeah. So that's no, your mission, great. everyone out there. We want in our next reviews, we want deep dark histories from your childhood, from your early life, whatever you want to call them, um, and link it back to our show. And uh, just make sure you add that five star review. Yeah, I love it. Um, all right. Well, let's see. We got some 
Newsy stuff to get to up at the top. So the bull picture, there's less bulls uh, around, David. The L.A. bull has now also been canceled. So, Oh, so from- all the whiners f- throughout history have been like, there are too many bulls. They finally got their wish, huh? Yeah, they're getting them all canceled. Uh, so as of the, the last week, and I, so this is updated now because we lose the L.A. bull, but the Rose Bowl is a CFP semifinal. Um, and the, the uh, Alamo Bowl... Uh, the LA Bowl was was last week, but now it's been canceled. And then the Independence Bowl. So really, only three bowls, I believe, that are associated with the the Pac-12 at this point. Um, Didn't they add another one? Wasn't there another one added? Oh, maybe they did. I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah, it's not it's not good. But you have to be a 500 team or better to be considered bowl eligible. So a team like Oregon State, who's looked pretty good at times, I mean, they they're gonna have to win their last game to be able to you know, to, to, to make a bowl. Yeah, that, that's tough. Um, that's, it, it's a shame, but it's the, the nature of playing conference only seasons is you can't fatten up on the true cupcakes because this Oregon state team certainly looks like a bowl team to me, but they didn't get the, you know, annual couple of games that they just are auto win. Um, and that's going to leave them, um, you know, maybe on the outside looking in. Yeah. Uh, only two Pac-12 teams ranked in the college football rankings. USC was 15, and Colorado was 21. Any shock there, Dave? No. Yeah. No. I I I, I want to be clear. I cannot care. You know how, how like so. Here's the thing. So ESPN, they're like contractually obligated that every one of their stupid shows needs to talk about the college football playoff like every single minute of every single recap show, every single preview show. Every single, like, anything that tangentially mentions college football, we don't have to do that. It's stupid. We don't need to talk about it like that. We, we can just talk about this league. It's a very dumb league. We spend all our time talking about it. Just, like, co- talking about in the context of whether or not they're going to make the playoff, like, eh. Like, they're, they're not going to this year. It wasn't going to happen. So let's just not worry about it. Yeah. We're just going to talk about the stupidity that goes on in this league. <laughs> and there's a lot of that. <laughs> there's so much. Every week, there's so much. The officiating last weekend was maybe the worst officiating I've ever seen. And I can't even, like, thinking back on it, I can't even pick out, like, one in particular that was so bad. It was just one of the worst refed weekends of football I can remember ever seeing. Yeah. It was it was rough. Uh, but, like, not with the, the big, the one big one that was, like, that everyone's, you know, complaining about or tweeting out pictures and stuff. Um, but you, so the only two teams that were ranked, USC and Colorado, there's some online debate. I think we're both on the same side of this. I just don't see the, for me, people wanted to see USC and Colorado play, um, either replace the USC UCLA game with USC and Colorado or let Colorado play USC the following week for the championships. And if they're both undefeated and I mean, I don't want to, I think it's hard enough to do these schedules as they are They're They've done a good job of making some games up on the fly, but it's one of those things. I don't think you want to like, screw up a game that's already scheduled between two healthy teams and then, you know, get, you know, and that and something bad happens. And now, you know, you lose a game that you shouldn't have and stuff like that. I mean, I, I just think you don't want to like tempt the uh, college football scheduling gods by making, you know, some of these changes late in the game. But I don't know. What, what do you think about the whole thing? What I think is that um, they should take the Pac-12 championship game and punt it from that seventh weekend right now. Because, again, no one is making the college football playoff. So do that. Play all the currently scheduled games as they are scheduled. So that means play USC, UCLA. And then if there is a potential decisive game to play in the seventh week, 
you have the room to do that because USC and Colorado, if they're both undefeated still at that point, they should play. Even if they're not both undefeated, say USC is, what would they be, 5-0 and at that point? And if Colorado even loses to Utah this weekend and they're 4-1, and well, if Colorado then beat USC, they would be the Pac-12 South champions. So I think that would be the fairest and most equitable thing to do, just so that you're not having to sit here and say, whatever, the, the, we're going to have to send the 5-0 and team over the 4-0 and team or whatever it is because of just some vagaries with how COVID worked out this year. Um, and this is all like with safety in mind and the whole thing, but nobody seems to care about that anyway. So just talking about it from like a fairness on the football field standpoint, I would use the seventh week as that opportunity and not try to play the Pac-12 championship game that week because you're not making the playoffs. So don't worry about that. Just push it a week or two weeks or whatever it takes to actually get the Pac-12 North, North winner, whoever that true winner is, because it also sounds like Washington and Oregon, as we'll talk about, may not be able to play this weekend. Yeah. Um, and if that's not able to happen, we'll try to do that next weekend because that should happen. Um, and then just move the title game out. Just push it out. There's nothing There's nothing stopping the Pac-12 from doing that right now, announcing it's done. I mean, the Big Ten just made a big change this week, and they're making it for playoff reasons, and the Pac-12 would be making it for the opposite reason. No one is still competing for the playoff. So we're going to do something that will actually give us a closer to a true winner. And I think that's the fairest thing. I think it gives you a little bit more revenue. It also probably puts you on a weekend where you're not having to compete with as many eyeballs. I'm not sure, but I think it might. Um, So I think there's a lot of reasons to do it. Very few reasons not to do it. So more than likely, the Pac-12 won't do it. (laughs) That's fair. I like that. Um, One other thing, John Wilner had a good report. Um, I think it was late last week on David Coleman, the uh, director of officiating for the Yeah, Pac-12. that he has about as much officiating experience as you or I do. Exactly. Was that, was that, that was kind of shocking to me. Like it was one of those things there was like a resume builder. Like you would say, almost like, like what you'd say in a dating profile, like, yeah, I, I ran this, like I, I ran this restaurant. And you're like, oh, well he was a bus boy there for uh, two weeks before he got fired. Um, it, it just seemed like, whoa, what is going on here? Like that was a weird one. Yeah, and that, a lot of hopes were pinned on him as like a guy who was going to fix the officiating too, and it just has not happened. Um, yeah, I mean that's obviously ridiculous. Whatever. Um, it's a uh, come on. This is just such a rinky-dink operation. I'm expecting all this stuff. Like, yeah, okay, of course the guy they hired is like, you know, just some dude off the street. Yeah, that's <laughs> totally fine. Um, <laughs> the proof is in the pudding. The officiating has not improved ever. I mean, ever. Uh, th- when was Coleman hired? Uh, was it 2017, maybe? Yeah, whatever it was. Um, who was the guy before him? Wasn't there a guy before him, or was it Coleman who gave Tony Carrenti, who like, yeah, like sort of like left. I think he left. Was Coleman the one who came to Pac-12 Media Day that one time and gave the speech about how the officiating was going to get better and all that kind of stuff? That might have been Carrenti. Uh, I don't remember. That was a while ago, I think. Yeah, that was that was a while ago. That was like five or six years ago. Um, I guess my point is it's never improved. It's been a joke forever. I mean, since literally Tom Hansen was the commissioner of the Pac-12, Pac-12 officiating has been a monster joke. Um, the guys they've hired have been amateurs to a much greater extent than they were at the other leagues. Um, it's just been such a rinky-dink operation forever. It's been run, I think, like an average like youth football league from like an officiating standpoint. Um, and I think the, you get what you've invested in it. And I, I don't think they've invested any real time in it. And it's 
people get on Larry Scott for a bunch of things that I don't think are like completely under his control, like whether these teams are good or not. Like I think whatever, that's not really on the commissioner. But one thing is how the league is officiated. That's the one thing that just is a constant eyesore every single weekend. And it's to the point where it's becoming a national narrative among guys who literally do not comment on that stuff. Rod Gilmore was going ham on the Pac-12 this weekend. <laughs> like, just, oh my God, this is ridiculous. I can't believe this. And I don't know if he had his pump primed by basically being quoted in that Wilner story about the officiating, but he was ready to go. As soon as they screwed up a call, he was like, this is a ridiculous call. And it was a, I want to say it was a PI call that got called in the end zone. That was like, it was a ridiculous call, but it was nowhere in it with the uh, spots from the Oregon State game. Um, and uh, and he was just completely flabbergasted by it. So I'm glad that's getting out there. But it, it's been a national embarrassment for so many years and nothing has changed. Yeah. I do not know what will change it besides actually hiring a professional to run the league who knows what in the hell like football is before he comes into it and isn't just hiring people based off of cronyism. Because yeah. that's really what's happened here, and it's why the Pac-12 is, you know, in all these operational ways, completely second-rate. You can't fix, like, Willie Dixon stuff overnight either. Like, this, there's a culture there if that is allowed to happen. It's, it's like, culture, but it, this is the stuff that I think you truly do pin on Larry Scott because it's how it's run. It's how yeah. it's run from the CEO level. If you had a change of leadership, well, that guy, whoever the next leader of the Pac-12 they should probably come in and more or less fire like 75% of the people in any kind of like above middle management role, right? Because yeah. it's just, there's a cultural problem. There's an amateurish problem. It's just such a bad operation. And I, I think so many of the infrastructural things about the Pac-12 are just second rate. And that's what needs to change from that level. Uh, again, I, I think that's distanced from the on-the-field play, which I just don't think the teams have been very good. I think they've been more poorly managed at the school level. Uh, but the commissioner, um, that's that's the guy who needs to be in charge of officiating and making that better, and he is not. Yeah, he definitely has not. Um, all right, well, uh, I don't think there's any other, any other newsy stuff you want to talk about? God, no. Let's get to some football games. All right. Pac-12 Roundup. Like we said, there weren't any... COVID canceled um, games this weekend. I mean, I was sort of one of those things where you're like, is anything going to happen? Or is this going, you know, what's going to go on? And turns out, no, uh, every, all the games end up getting played. So we, we have our new uh, pack of power rankings and we'll go uh, in reverse order. And we're going to start uh, with our team that continues to be number 12. Arizona Wildcats. Wow. And they were hosting Colorado Buffalo. But we should note the briefly frisky Arizona Wildcats. Yeah. Because this was 13-0 at one point, uh, Arizona. Now, did it finish 24-13? Yes. Yes, it did. <laughs> uh, but Arizona started this game looking okay. Um, took advantage of some mistakes. They were running the ball really well. Um, Will Plummer... I, I, he had a very similar game to what he had actually against UCLA where he started okay. And then it just kind of got away from him. Um, but I thought th there were some flashes at least at the beginning. Um, but on the flip side, I think Jarek Broussard is still running. 
Like, I think he's still continuing to run. Uh, he had 25 carries. So 25 carries, you're thinking, oh, big day, right? Big day at 25 carries, that's like 200 yards, right? You you average like eight yards a carry. Damn, that's really good. He got 301 yards. That is 12 yards a carry. You know what's crazier than 301 yards? What? 301 yards with no touchdowns. Yeah, that's kind of nuts. Well, and that was the funny thing is, so on the 75-yarder, I was like, oh, he's gone. And then I'm like, ooh. So he lacks, I don't know if it's the top gear or if it's the, he burns himself out too quickly. Like he, you know, because sometimes the sprinters, they don't know how to pace themselves and then they just kind of burn out in the run. I don't know if he was just going too hard at the beginning or what it was, but it was interesting to watch that because I wouldn't describe him as slow by any means. Uh, but he was run down a couple of times, actually, on big, long runs. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, that was that was something worth noting. Um, I, Sam Neuer, I thought this was his first kind of rough game um, as a thrower. Uh, I thought Arizona had him scouted better, um, kind of knew what he had comfort throwing to and took advantage of him. Um, but they found ways around it. Um, I thought the running game really, really worked for Colorado, and they just kept going back. Back to it. I thought it was a smartly called game. Um, and uh, after the first quarter of kind of getting punched in the mouth, they really did take control of it. Um, and that second half, it was just kind of quiet, you know, pouring it on a little bit. Um, and ultimately, they covered, which was the important thing for us. Yeah, uh, we end up uh, getting this one right. Colorado was favored. I mean, uh, Arizona. Yeah, Colorado was favored by seven. Uh, and, you know, they end up getting the win. But, yeah, it was a little rough early on. Um, seven and nothing was Colorado's largest deficit of the season. And it was 13, nothing. There was a bunch of mistakes, penalties. Um, there was a, a fumble and you know, a couple of big runs by Arizona and just looked like Arizona was like, Oh, they're feisty for a little bit. But then, uh, Broussard had that 75 yard run and that kind of gave Colorado some momentum. It led to a touchdown. I just felt bad. He kept getting vultured. You know, he would run those long ones, get tackled at like the five or the 10, and then someone else would come in to, to punch it in. And so, it, but yeah, he, that's a lot of yards. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the record is for having that many yards without a touchdown, but it's, it had to be up there somewhere. Oh, I, I would almost guarantee it's it. Like that's, that's tough to do. Yeah. That would be very tough uh, to do. I think, you know, to get that many yards without scoring a touchdown, like you almost have to try. And it just, it just kept, kept happening the same way. And he was really tired, which you understand. And they scored usually fairly quickly after that. So it wasn't like he had an opportunity um, to, to come back in. So he was the first Colorado tailback to go over a hundred yards in his first four games. Um, you know, he had that 75 yard, he had a 59 yarder. And then once it was 14, 13 at the half, you felt pretty good. Like that Arizona wasn't going to do much. They act, you know, Arizona was knocking on the door in the third quarter, throw a pick in the end zone. You know, um, it was Arizona's longest drive of the game. And you thought if they're, if Arizona could score here, they were down eight at the time. All right, this, this can do it. Um, you get first and goal from the three and you can't score. So that, you know, that drive was aided by a couple of pass interference calls. Um, they get first and goal again, they go for it on fourth down and fail. So they had some shots in there. Um, but it was the 11th straight loss for Arizona, which I think is a, a team record. Uh, Kevin Sumlin is definitely on the hot seat. I know Jason Shear tweeted out today that because of the Losses in the athletic department, they might not make a move, but, you know, it's hard to justify losing 11 straight uh, in the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's now just a question of when. Um, 
they're they're they just look completely dead in the water. Um, and it's unfortunate because um, the some of the kids still seem like they're really trying, but they just they just look completely inept. Um, yeah. and this was not team... this was not Colorado playing particularly well, and they still beat them by eleven. Right. Yeah, this like if you watch Colorado and you're like the rest of the season, you saw them against Arizona, you'd be like, oh, uh, they've definitely they didn't have their best game, and we're still. Able I mean, to this cover. was Sam Neuer's by far worst game of the season. Yeah, by far. Um, and they were still, you know, they they won a comfortable game. Yeah, well, it's funny. We'll talk about you know the, the two of the quarterbacks you thought. Eh, I don't know Sam Neuer. He was a safety last year, or like Jane Delora. He was a freshman, and both had looked good until this last week. So maybe it was something in the water. I don't know. Um, all right, so the Arizona schools aren't doing great. We have our number 11 team. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> and they were trying to get a win against UCLA Bruins. So caveat, um, we have Arizona State number 11. Um, I, I approved these power rankings. Um, Ryan wrote them, but I approved them. So I'm not going to um, uh, denigrate the number 11 ranking here. The only thing I will say is that Arizona State, by my eye, was probably the best team UCLA's played this year, even better than Colorado. I think they got really unlucky against USC. And then I think this game, there was a lot of rust to shake off. But um, So UCLA won 25-18. Um, ASU has a couple of NFL backs, I think. Uh, Trainum, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct, and Rashad White both look like studs. Um just super studs. Um, they were giving UCLA a ton of trouble on the edge. Um, so I just want to make that note up top. This was a really uh, fun and weird game and boring at times, but fun and weird too. Uh, UCLA scored 17 points in the second quarter. Uh, they had a 17 nothing lead. Um, ASU just before the half, uh, they took a kickoff and we're going to take it for a touchdown. And UCLA's uh, kickoff guy actually slide tackled the returner. And Brady Quinn on the telecast was like, oh, my gosh, what a mistake. What an awful play. That could have really hurt him. And first, like, I've seen a million soccer players. Well, not a million because I don't watch that much soccer. But I've seen a lot of soccer players get side tackled. And while they all look like they're about to die every single time they get side tackled, none of them actually do. So I'm I'm not really buying that as like, oh, yeah, he, he, he was really going to get hurt. Second. Uh, it was one of the smarter plays a kicker can make. Almost all kickers, if they are the last line of defense, they should revert to their soccer backgrounds because universally they have soccer backgrounds or rugby, I guess, um, and slide tackle the guy. They should 100% do that. Take the 15-yarder because otherwise it's a touchdown. So slide tackle, yes, um, they did, and that led to an ASU field goal. Um, and then UCLA just kind of didn't really get it going offensively again. Um, and ASU really started to move the ball. Um, they, they found some weaknesses in that UCLA kind of high pressure attack. They started to use the screen game quite a bit more. They started to attack the edges a lot more. Um, and that got them much more productive to the point where they actually took an 18, 17 lead in the fourth quarter, um, which came after a, uh, really questionable decision by Dorian Thompson Robinson out of his own end zone. He threw the ball away, um, but he was still within the tackle box, um, didn't throw it anywhere near a receiver. So he got called for a safety in his own end zone because um, it was a penalty grounding in the end zone. Um, so it was 17-12, and then ASU drove down the field. Notably, they weren't able to convert the two, so it was 18-17. And then UCLA 
with about four minutes to go, drove the length of the field. Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson probably played his best, you know, four minutes of the season. Uh, Demetric Felton, who looked a little banged up and only played a little bit, he came in for that last series and ran some really gutty yards. Um, and they were able to uh, get the touchdown. Uh, the final sequence was really weird. I don't know if you were paying close attention to this, but uh, UCLA was in that weird circumstance where they had it. It was 18-17. They were down by a point, and they had it down within the 10, um, and they were had about a minute to go, and ASU had two timeouts left. And so the question was, well, do you try to score there, or do you not? And so Demetric Felton takes a handoff uh, from the three and gets it to the like one-inch line, and then he doesn't move anymore. He just kind of stands there motionless. So what actually ends up happening is the Arizona State defenders pull him into the end zone uh, for the <laughs> touchdown. Uh, the smarter play there probably would have been, if you're not going to go in, is to take the knee. Because standing motionless on a football field while you're holding the ball is a great way to get injured. Um, <laughs> but uh, they luckily just pulled him into the end zone. Um, but yeah, so UCLA then uh, scored made the two-point conversion after a review, and then ASU had the ball uh, to coming back uh, to try to, to tie it with uh, about a minute to go in both of their timeouts. And UCLA, for the first time in uh, recorded history, actually didn't go bend but don't break at the end of a game, kept the pressure on, put some pressure on Daniels, and uh, thanks to some uh, possibly questionable officiating, but also um, some really heady play from the defensive coordinator for UCLA, just kind of... Um, bringing a lot of pressure on Daniels, uh, was able to keep them out of the end zone. Um, I will say this, this game was horribly officiated throughout. I would say most of the calls that were horrible went against ASU, and it was like ticky-tack here, ticky-tack there, nothing major, nothing major. But when you do the grand accumulation of it, um, it, it was a really bad call, badly yeah. called game. And it didn't even feel intentional. It just felt like one of those games, and you see it through the Pac-12 in ways that you don't see it in other leagues, where they're just like, hey, our point of emphasis today is going to be a legal man downfield, and then they're going to call it four times. Yeah. It's just just so against the rhythm of football. Um, and look, no one instance of it is that big of a deal. The, the final one was like BS on its face because he wasn't illegally downfield. He was only two yards beyond the line of scrimmage, not three. Um, but each one of those, it's like, okay, fine. But it's just the grand accumulation of all these things makes it so that when you miss a small call in a big spot like that, it's exacerbated because you've missed 15 of those same small calls throughout the entire game that we've just been watching. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. So we both got this one right. Arizona State was favored by three. We both took the Bruins. Um, this was one of those where, yeah, Arizona State looks better on paper. Just they've only played two games. They haven't won one yet. I didn't know really where to put them. I mean, just eye test wise, you could move them up a little bit, but. Um, they, they look like a better team than the number 11 team for sure. Um, I thought Dorian Thompson Robinson looked pretty crappy to start, but he started playing better and making some plays later on. Maybe it's just a little rust. Um, but they're, I thought, you know, UCLA ended up after a slow start, they started playing better. They looked like they were taking control. Um, Jaden Daniels, did you, I tweeted this. He needs a bigger helmet. Did you see how small that helmet looks on his face? <laughs> Well, I think what it is is because I think I don't know. I haven't seen his hair recently, but I think he's got a lot of it in like the back, like top part of his head. And so I think it's kind of making he's jamming the helmet in over it. But I think it's making it so his like chin is closer to the chin strap than it otherwise would be. Yeah. Um, so I think that's more of what's playing a role there. Um, his face I'm, looks like it's like, 
you know, a millimeter away from the you know, like the face mask, like the face. Yeah, I would there. worry about him getting hurt. I, I really would. Just kind of the way that whole thing is situated right now. Yeah, I tried to take a screen. I'm watching on YouTube on, uh, you know, YouTube Live or YouTube TV on my. I tried to do a screenshot. I was on my computer and it wouldn't let me do it. Like it, if you do a screenshot of it, it just it comes up blank, so they know. I don't know. I guess you can't take whatever, but I was like, I wanted to tweet Ryan, out a picture, but Ryan was truly fixated on this. I, I think there were maybe three or four tweets about this. I think <laughs> there was, yeah. um, it was weird. He didn't look quite the same, but you know, Arizona state had to come like they were down 17, 10. I think it was like second and goal at the one. Oh, and, and I should make that point. ASU in that second half, like if you were an ASU fan and you came away saying we a hundred percent should have won that game. That's a totally justifiable. You'd be right. Take. Yeah. Yeah. You you had the ball at the one, and you had a fumbled exchange. Uh, then Daniels threw a real like WTF uh, pick, just th- sailing it over the head of his receiver directly into the waiting arms of a UCLA corner. That was weird in the end zone. Um, so both those things don't happen. You probably win the game. Um, yeah. I know the advanced box scores say UCLA was on balance. If you did this game ten times out of ten, or you know, a hundred times UCLA probably wins like 80 of them. I don't know that I buy that from my eye test, but yeah, anyway. But uh, yeah, Arizona state outgained UCLA 442 yards to 362, but they also had 12 penalties for 83 yards and a couple of turnovers. And like you said that, you know, fumbling the ball going in at the one, that's more than a turnover. <laughs> that's a, you know, that's huge. So uh, yeah, it looked like Arizona state could have easily won this game, but um, you know, UCLA gets the victory. So it's, Sort of bad luck with Arizona State missing three games, you know, having a crazy comeback from USC and then really kind of outplaying UCLA in the second half and not getting a win. So it's sort of a bad luck scenario for Arizona State. And I feel like I'm piling on now. I put them number 11, but oh well. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. We have our number 10 team. Washington State Cougars. <laughs> they get the meow. And our uh, new number one team, USC Trojans. Uh, what a catastrophe that USC run game is, right? <laughs> Just Five absolute yards piss. Five yards Weak rushing. Crap. They have. Yeah. yeah, I mean, honestly, we shouldn't even say anything else about this game. I mean, just USC completely unable to run the ball. Wow. Dog crap. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Probably not worth belaboring this one too hard, but USC just crushed the absolute life out of Washington State. It was uh, depressing to watch at a lot of levels. Uh, This was probably the best the passing attack for USC has looked all year. Um, And defensively, they just completely annihilated Washington State. Jaden Delora, it was sad to watch. Um, I think he took all three of the sacks, maybe, but or all three of the sacks from Nick Figueroa, I should say. Yeah. Um, But it was just they were getting after quarterback really easily he looked just he looked lost in a way he hasn't looked this year um as a true freshman just completely wide-eyed and you know he threw a couple of picks just it was not not a good performance at all they weren't able to run the ball at all to take take it off of him uh, um and so end result is it was 35-6 at halftime it didn't feel that close um and then the second half it was basically just junk time but yeah, this is this is the best the pass attack for USC has looked all year, I thought. Yeah, yeah, I'm on Ross St. Brown, like the kind of the opposite of Broussard. I think he had like 65 yards receiving or something, but he had four touchdowns in the first quarter. Yeah. Um, did where where would you fall in the debate? Like, because Broussard got the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week, 
you give it to the 300 yard back or the receiver that caught four touchdowns in a quarter? Here's the thing. I would give it to Broussard only because I think in this matchup, um, not that anyone can replace Amon Ross St. Brown, but any of these USC receivers, I think, would have been able to um, take those touchdowns. Like, okay. Right? Like they would have been able to spread it around some. I don't know how essential he was to the uh, blowout. I think the blowout would have happened regardless of his presence on the field. Without Broussard, Arizona might have lost, or Arizona might have won that game. Yeah, that's fair. Um, he did have a couple of nice catches in the uh, in the end zone where he went up and, and got the ball. But yeah, it was uh, it was pretty impressive. And they sort of just kind of took their foot off the gas, like you said. Not not a lot of rushing yards in this one. Uh, I think the running backs had 16 carries that netted 25 yards. So that's something that we we're talking to the coaches about. But when you can just throw the ball all over the field like they were doing, they kind of just kind of like you said, they just sucked the life out of the game by just putting it away. Like the game was over in the first quarter and uh, just sort of hung on for the rest of it. Uh, but I've the the way this defense is played, it's got it, they've gotten better every week. They were without their two starting uh, inside linebackers, and they moved Talanoa Funga, the safety, up near the line of scrimmage. He played a lot of middle linebacker. They were It was mostly dime packages, what they were running, and just trying to, and it definitely disrupted Jaden Delora. In Washington State, he looked like a true freshman. Not He hadn't looked this bad all year for sure. Um, so I, what Tarl Orlando has been able to do, the guy that came over from Texas to run the defense, has been pretty impressive. They were a little, they looked slow, I think, in the first couple of games, but so they figured it out. Now they're playing fast and they're, you know, running around. They like blitz in. They're just putting pressure on people. You know, similar to UCLA, it's a fun defense to to watch. And um, you know, I think that's where the biggest improvement has been. I think the you know, Clayton talked about the run game in the first two games they ran for like 175 yards or 174 yards in a game per game. Um, that fell off against Utah and then certainly against Washington state. And they're not a great run defense. I think they're giving up about 200 yards a game. So that's uh, it's probably an area of concern that they might need against the, the Bruins this weekend, but um, the defense is definitely playing better. They can still throw the football all over the place. And you know, it, it was enough for them to be four and at this point and, and number one in the power rankings. Yep. We, we got this one wrong. We took uh, Washington state and the points and, uh, no, this was a this was blowout city from the from the get go. I mean, there was a couple of turnovers. USC had a bunch of short fields in that first quarter. Um, if you look at like, it's not like Washington State gave up like these long touchdown drives. Like they would just fumble or there'd be a bad special teams play or whatever. And and so USC had a short field and they just just kind of made Washington State pay every time. So you, you felt bad. Just Washington State just looked like they. I mean, they had you know the two weeks off and uh, it's yeah they I, it, they didn't look good. At all. Okay. Uh, our, we now have our number nine team. California Golden Bears. They moved up quite a bit. and uh, But we could probably move them up more. Um, they were taking on Oregon Ducks. Yeah. Yeah, boy. Uh, so Cal won 21-17 over Oregon. Uh, if you remember all the way back at the beginning of this year, we were talking about Oregon as the best offense in the Pac-12, at least through those first couple of weeks. Yeah, that is no longer the case. No. Um, they scored 17 points, no points in the second half. Um, I thought Tyler Shuck, he had a pretty poor game. His stats don't necessarily reflect it. He was 14-26 of 26 for 231 yards and a touchdown. Um, but his just decision-making seemed um, kind of just all over the place in this one, um, not making the right reads, especially in the running game. Um, and just, it, it seemed to really put a hamper on what they were attempting to do offensively. 
Um, and Cal, you know, this was kind of the the full fleshed version of I think what they want to be, which is more. I don't know if you'd call it Stanford esque because I don't know if that's exactly the kind of offense they're running, but these long, grueling drives um, in the first half. They had between two their two touchdown uh, drives. They had 32 plays and over a quarter of possession, so over 15 minutes of possession and 32 plays to get their touchdowns. Um, that's that. I think that's the kind of offense they want to be under Bill Musgrave. Um, and Oregon very much offered very little resistance to it. Um, so that was, you know, pretty impressive to see. Um, and then in the second half, they had a, a quicker one, a, a five play for 64 yard, uh, touchdown, uh, drive, but, um, it was, uh, it was pretty impressive from Cal. I thought their defense looked, um, better than it has looked for much of this year. Um, they had a big fourth down stop, uh, pretty late, uh, to keep this game, um, from going Oregon's way, um, which was maybe aided by CJ Burdell running exactly like directly into his blocker um, on the Cal 18. Uh, he's had a propensity to do that in the past. I think he's got a lot of talent as a running back, but vision at times has failed him. Um, yeah, I, it's uh, I think this one, you pin a little bit of the offensive struggles on Shuck and just kind of decision-making, particularly in the RPO game, which is an essential piece of this Moorhead um, offense. And then, uh, you know, Cal, maybe they're here at the whatever fourth game of the year. They're starting to figure out that offense a little bit. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it was a nice win for Cal. Chase Garbers played fine. Nothing great, but fine. Um, And uh, he did it without much of a running game. So, you know, altogether pretty good. Yeah. um, So this was a... Cal uh, was getting 10 points. I took Cal. You took Oregon. So this is the only one we did differently, and I got this one right. So another win for me on the week, David, uh, just so people know I'm 15 and nine against the spread and David is 12 and 12. So we're, we're back to normal now like that. That I wouldn't, 2019 I wouldn't call anomaly. that normal. I wouldn't. How, how did we do last year? That, that, that's an anomaly. If you look at the last. No, no, no. I look yeah. at things from like a two year like comparisons <laughs> setup. So how are we doing relative to last year? Uh, I'm doing a lot better. Okay. <laughs> okay. But what was the spread last year? Like how, how many more wins did I have last year than you did? Uh, you had six. So okay, it was a three okay. games. So we're, we're got it, got it. So over the two year span, I'm 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 three games over you. <laughs> okay, fifteen and nine, baby. All right. So anyway, um, I was worried early on because Cal special teams had another blunder. They had the forty three yard punt return negated because of the penalty. If you remember the week before, they had at least three gaffes on special teams. But you know, Cal was playing pretty good. They're up seven three. And, uh, you know, one of those long drives you mentioned, Dave, uh, Cal punts, you know, Oregon stops him, Cal punts, Oregon has 12 men on the field that gave Cal a first down, uh, later on in the same drive on fourth down, uh, Oregon gets, uh, pass interference, uh, or, or a personal foul call. And it gave Cal another first down. Then on fourth down again, on fourth and goal, there's an Oregon pass interference and it gave Cal another chance. And that's a demoralizing drive. So now it's 14, three. It should have been 7-3 with Oregon's ball and all these mistakes by Oregon keeps Cal alive. And like you said, you know, you have a 13-play TD drive. Then you have a 19-play touchdown drive. That was the 19-play one. And that's kind of demoralizing for a defense. And and now Cal's in a better position where they can play defense. Um, they can try to, you know, move the ball down the field a little bit. Um, 
So it it was uh it was it was interesting the way you know Oregon did respond though Cal didn't do anything on a on its drive and uh, there was 46 seconds left in the half and gave up a bomb it was really bad clock management by Cal like they didn't run out any of the clock so the Ducks end up going up 17-14 before the half so even with Cal sort of taking the air out of the the balloon you know Oregon was able to come back with some mistakes by Cal um, and but then you know that. The 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 uh, play fake that Garbers had for the touchdown. Don't say he, did, he was okay. He was good. He put the ball behind his back and throws that dime in the end zone, and then Cal takes the lead there. Um, I thought that was a great play. Sorry, I did not mean to besmirch your pick for the MVP of the league. Yes, okay? I'm sorry. He's finally playing well. Like it was not very good. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Cal got a fourth and one stop in the red zone uh, early on in the in the second half, and that was a huge play. Uh, and, and Chuck was fighting for yards on a, on a play and he fumbled. So there was just a bunch of like Cal, uh, mistakes and uh, Cal went for it on fourth down instead of taking the field goal. And that actually got Oregon going on another long drive, but they fumble again and then Cal takes over. So it, Oregon needs to score more points. They, they hadn't scored fewer than 35 points all year. They only got 17 in this one. And a lot of it just Dave was the mistakes that uh, Oregon was making, but it, the tempo, everything sort of favored Cal in this one. And it being able, after blowing it in the first half and coming, you know, coming from behind after Oregon goes up 17 14, I thought was pretty impressive because it, you felt like Cal needed to keep the lead the whole time. And when they screwed up and gave up that lead, it was like, uh oh. But they came back and made the plays when they needed to, forced some turnovers. And uh, I think Oregon's got to be kicking themselves. I mean, they definitely could have won this one. And uh, Cal took it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good. So big Bay area school win, uh, from California. Uh, next up we have our number eight team. Utah Utes. And, uh, I don't know if this should be reversed, but, uh, because we, we took, we have our number seven team is the Oregon state Beavers. No, honestly, I think that's totally fine because for Oregon State to do what they did at Utah with Chance Nolan playing quarterback and then like, I don't know, I think by the time the game ended, I think you were playing running back for them. <laughs> yeah, um, it was, it's rough. Oregon State's got a rough How goal. the hell was this a one score game at the end, Utah? And I'm asking you, Utah, like what the hell happened? Because when I so, uh, you know, Saturday's a busy day. This is one I was kind of just checking in on throughout. And I think when Utah got the punt return touchdown, I was like, okay, that one's over. It's 30 to 10. And then on the ensuing drive, they let Oregon State score. And then they go punt, punt. And then they let Oregon State score again. And suddenly it's 30 to 24. And at the end of the game, Oregon State had the ball with a chance to win on the final drive. And yeah, it's Chance Nolan in like a two-minute drill or a minute and 16-second drill, actually. Uh, trying to move it downfield. And guess what? He did. Like, he moved it pretty well. He got it all the way to the Utah 36. Um, this was way closer than it should have been. Um, and, I, I, you know, some of that's just kind of the vagaries of football. And I think Utah maybe got a little ahead of itself there at the end, thinking that it had it in hand. But you got to give so much credit to Jonathan Smith and this staff for making this a game late. Um you know, if I wasn't already completely married to the idea of just the hilarity of giving Pac-12 Coach of the Year to Carl Durrell, because frankly, he deserves it too. Um, and also, I'm just a self-loathing UCLA person at heart. 
Uh, Jonathan Smith has another real argument this year. They're two and three, but like legitimately could be four and one. And especially if they'd had a little bit of health coming into this game. If Jamar Jefferson had been healthy, Tristan Jebby hadn't gone down, whatever. Uh, they could have they taken this one. But um, I'm really impressed with the coaching job they've done. Obviously good on Utah for getting their first win. Um, but uh, I think the story coming out of this one is just how impressive it was that Oregon State even made it close late. Yeah, it was crazy. No Jamar Jefferson in this one. Chase Nolan gets a start. His very Chance. first pass. Chance. I'm sorry. Chance. Oh, did I say Chase? Chance. Yeah. I wrote down Chase. Um, Chance. Chance Nolan. Uh, his very first pass picked off. Yeah. So uh, Utah returns it down to the 10-yard line. But Oregon State forced a field goal. And they did that well. I mean, that's why they were be able to. This was an 11-point spread. And uh, we kind of backdoor covered this one, I guess you could say. Um, we both picked Oregon State. You know what's weird? We have picked, you and I, the two of us. Every single game we've picked Oregon State. Every single we are, one. We are big Oregon State fans. We are four and one. They did not cover in week one. Um, every week since, three times they've been getting double-digit points, and uh, we we took them and and they covered. And then one time they were favored over Cal by three and a half, and they covered by half a point. But how crazy is that? We've picked both of us, Oregon State, each and every week. Well, um, you you generally want to pick the better coach in those kinds of matchups. And frankly, Jonathan Smith might be a better coach than literally everyone else in the league. He's done a good job. And we thought that, you know, Nolan coming in for Jebby, I was like, eh, is Jebby that good? Well, it ha- it did make a difference. Um, you know, this the fact that it was 9 nothing and Oregon State was able to force field goals was encouraging. But Oregon State just couldn't do much on offense. Like the their first touchdown drive, it was aided by four Utah penalties, you know. Um, it was 23 to 10 and it seemed like it should have been a lot worse. Ty Jordan just did whatever he wanted. They really were featuring the freshman running back, uh, for Utah and, you know, cause they had used a bunch of different guys. He was great. You know, Britton Covey got that, uh, touchdown punt return. It was 30 to 10 and Oregon state just looked absolutely hapless, but they come back and score and then they sneak in an onside kick. So obviously if you're going to have some kind of comeback, you sneak at the onside kick, it works. You're gonna score, right? No, they like <laughs> they get sacked. It's third and twenty-seven after the onside kick. It's like it was such a waste of an onside kick that you got that you went backwards. It was just like, oh, Beavers, what are you doing? But again, they still were able to come back. They cut it to six. Um, they got a four and out from Utah by stopping Utah on third and fourth and one. But the problem was there was just no way Oregon State was going to score unless Utah was helping them out with penalties. And so it they just not look at, you know, if, if Jefferson and Jebby play in this game, I think Oregon State wins. But it, you know, Utah can't feel great about getting this win. But, uh, you know, at least you did. Like you got you got your first win of the season. You'll take it. But Oregon State was just kind of depleted and still was right there. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, there were so many weird plays in that game. Just kind of. Kind of nuts. All right, here's another uh, Bay Area weird one. A team didn't think I was, I didn't think was going to be very good this year. Stanford Cardinal. And they were on the road taking on the previously undefeated Washington Huskies. <laughs> yeah, so Stanford uh, won a football game, and they did it um, looking like I don't know 2012 Stanford, kind of. Throughout the whole game, um, uh, 
touchdowns, these long methodical touchdown drives. Um, the, the drive they had to end the game was wild. Uh, they got the ball. I just want to note this before we talk about anything else at the game. They got the ball at their own 12 with seven and a half to go. Right. So if you're Washington, you're down by five points. You know, you lose by five points, but you're down by five points at that point. Thirty one, twenty six. And you're thinking, oh, yeah, we're for sure getting this back. You know, Stanford will go conservative. We'll get it back with five, four, some, you know, some number of minutes to go. Instead, Stanford possesses the ball for every single one of those remaining seconds. <laughs> oh, no, it was actually seven minutes and 54 seconds to go. So it was almost eight minutes. They get it all the way to the Washington 12, and then they're done. Yeah. But my goodness, uh, that was so Stanford. Like, that was that was true peak Stanford. Um, but the game at large, um, uh, basically, once again, for the second straight week, Washington just didn't really show up in the first half. Um, offensively, I thought they were dreadful. Uh, defensively, obviously, they were dreadful. Um, they gave up three touchdown drives and then a field goal drive at the end of the game. David Shaw, or at the end of the half, David Shaw was coaching like his coaching career depended on it and wasn't doing the wildly conservative stuff. He actually attempted to score at the end of the half instead of just sitting on the ball, which um, was neato. Um, and then Washington showed up in the second half and they started to move the ball more and do a little bit more Washington-like things defensively um, to kind of keep uh, Stanford at bay, but they were moving the ball a lot better in the second half and they had an opportunity. Um, they forced the Stanford fumble, um, at about midfield and then they got it. They, on the return, they got it down to the Stanford 10, but then it was just like hilarity ensued. Um, they got a holding call incomplete. Then they got a run for two. So it ended up being fourth and goal from Stanford 27. So they ended up having to kick a field goal. Um, and that was when it was 31, 23, they really needed to have that be a touchdown um, in retrospect. But even at the time, they really needed that to be a touchdown. And even if you end up where you don't make the two-point conversion, um, you still are then within striking distance. Instead, it was a five-point game. All Stanford really had to do was hold on to the ball and maybe kick a field goal at the end. Instead, they just held on to the ball the whole time. Uh, one other thing I would note is this was a game that, again, featured horrible officiating. I think this one was, if my notes are correct, it was multiple bad spots. Um Again, just bad spots. Um, but yeah, everything was vitiated horribly this weekend, including this game. It was. Uh, this was an 11 and a half point spread. And we both um, took uh, Washington. So we were wrong on this one. Um, but I thought it was a good start from Stanford and another slow one for Washington. And, you know, I think John Wilner tweeted and some other people were talking about. I thought Stanford having to move out of state was going to be a detriment. It just seemed like it worked well. Hey, let's go practice in a park and you're going to come out and play well. And they did. And I don't know who David Shaw was, but he's not been, you know, where was a, you know, they were up 21 to three in the first half and they get the, you know, and there's three minutes left and they're trying to score. Like it was fourth and four from the, 34 Stanford went for it. Like this was, they didn't punt. That's a, that's a perfect punt situation. It's, Oh, you're up 21, three. Let's just like punt it away and, and play for the second half. Like they were actually trying to score, you know, and they were really good on third down 10 of 13 on third down two of two on, uh, on fourth down, um, just really impressive. So they were able to m maintain those drives and sustain drives and really kind of demoralize, 
um, you know, Washington. But, you know, I, the early second half, there was a lot of scoring. It kind of got – there was a flurry there. But Stanford got the momentum by blocking one of the Washington PATs. But Washington ends up getting a, a stop, and they cut it to 31-23. This was early in the fourth quarter. And then Stanford fumbles. Washington scores the touchdown. I think that what you were talking about there, but it's called back for a holding and they end up getting a third and goal from the 29. So that was sort of a, an opportunity there that, that was lost. But, um, you know, that, that drive you talked about to end the game, it's fourth and one Stanford went for it, you know, and they got it and they ended the game. And it's like, this was not like the David Shaw playbook at all, but you got to give Stanford a lot of credit. I thought they played really well in this one. Are they going to go, you know, uh, 12 of 15 on third and fourth down a lot of times probably not but they did in this one and it was enough to get the win yeah i would say davis mills was really sharp i mean if he plays like that again then they'll they'll be pretty good on third down again yeah they were they were really good on third down all right um so that was stanford so we had um you know number five we had oregon we talked about uh number four ucla number three washington number two colorado and number one usc so that's that's all the games. Let me tell you about my bookie real quick. Uh, with the Christmas holidays right around the corner, I can't believe it's almost here. My bookie has been in a giving mood. You remember that $250 risk-free bet on Thanksgiving, the boosted odds and free bet every hour of Black Friday, and they continue to give away more freebies for Cyber Monday for a sports book that's supposed to be in the business of making money. They were giving it away. That's just one of the reasons why I've been rolling with my bookie this season. The fact is, if you're going to put some action on the games, whether you're betting the NFL, NCAA football, you know, Pac-12, of course, college hoops, whatever your preference, you want to do it with a reputable brand like MyBookie. Make your deposit using promo code PAC12, and they'll match you halfway to give you a head start on building your bankroll. Put $200 in and get an extra $100 to play with. Joining and depositing is a simple process, and it's quick. But more importantly, when it's time to get paid, that's quick, too. So treat yourself some extra cash in your pocket this holiday season by investing in your intuition. It's not just winter season, it's winning season. So bet, win, and get paid with my bookie. All right, Dave. Beautifully read. Oh, thanks. Uh, we got to do a preview of the week six games. This is the final week that we have scheduled. Who knows what week seven is, is going to bring? I have no idea, but it's going to be... It'll be a little crazy, of course. We, you know, it's always there's always going to be something weird. We don't know what's going to happen. But week six, as of now, we're hoping everything goes uh, as planned. We do, you know, we don't know. Washington was pausing, um, you know, their football activity, so we'll get to that uh, in a minute. But there were two Friday games. Now there's only one, and it's the Territorial Cup. We have Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> Going to Tucson to take on Arizona Wildcats. All right, so this one's on at 4 p.m. on ESPN ASU at Arizona in the rivalry game. Not a win between these two teams, but ASU is favored by 11 and a half points on the road in a rivalry game, which is a tough one for me. Oh, that's a real tough one. Um, ASU can definitely run the ball, um, and Arizona can definitely struggle dealing with teams that can run the ball. Um, but Arizona's offense, yeah, I don't know if I can finish that sentence because it's been like awful, right? But they've been okay at times. Like they've actually been able to move the ball a little bit. Um, but ASU's defense, I just watched it and they've got, I won't say it's great, but they've got dudes at every level. 
Um, like their defensive lineman, Jermaine Lillet, he's really good. Um, they've got really good linebacker play. They've got some really good guys in the secondary. So I hate it. I really hate what I'm doing here. But I'm going to take ASU minus 11 and a half. Hmm. Interesting. I was definitely going to take ASU on almost any scenario, like single digits for sure. 11 and a half, it just seems like they're seeing what we're seeing. It's not a, you know, this is a team that's pretty good. They just haven't got a win yet, you know? Um, would you like me, uh, since you're behind, would you like me to go opposite you on this? Please, one? please. Okay. I'll take Arizona then just for that fact. It's just a lot of points. Um, we've seen Arizona be feisty for a little bit. Uh, is this going to be the game Arizona state puts it all together and gets like the blowout win? Yeah, maybe. Uh, so we'll see, but that's, that's a bunch of points and, uh, it's tough to, to lay that many, uh, in these kind of games, especially a rivalry game on the road. A team that doesn't have a win yet. So, all right, we'll see what happens there. Uh, this one, I don't know if we have a name for this one. It's Utah Utes taking on Colorado Buffalo. This is a 9 a.m.er on Big Fox. Woo! Utah traveling to Colorado, uh, number 21 Colorado, that is. Uh, undefeated Colorado, that is. How many wins did you have them for again? I had them for none. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Colorado favored by one and a half points. Give me the buffs. Wow. One and a half points? Yeah. No, give me the buffs all day. Um, Yeah, Colorado uh, has impressed me a lot more than Utah this year. I think Utah will be able to run the ball, um, but line play wins. Um, I think Colorado, even though Utah, I think, has good line play, I think Colorado's maybe a touch better this year, uh, particularly on the offensive line. So, uh, I will take the buffs here. Um, I think they win this by at least a field goal. Yeah, I think you're going to see a bounce back from uh, Colorado play a little bit better than what we saw. And, you know, for Utah, like, yeah, I don't know, man. This letting Oregon State hang around like that, that was not really encouraging. So let's, uh, you know, I, I know that it'll be fun, though, because you know, Broussard can run the ball, but. Utah's pretty good at stopping the run, so we'll see what happens there. But I, I feel like Colorado's going to have success, and Neuer's going to bounce back and, and have a better game. So, uh, All right, so we'll both go with Colorado in this one uh, with the one-and-a-half point spread. Next one, this is the one we're hoping is going to happen. Washington Huskies. <laughs> On the road at Oregon Ducks. <laughs> this one's on at 1 p.m. Um, is there a network? I don't even have a network listing. Uh, I'm not sure. Like the, the Utah Colorado one was supposed to be a Friday night game. And I think because Michigan, uh, Ohio state got canceled, they took the, this one took that spot. I mean, the, the Utah Colorado one did. I'm not sure. Let me see. Hang on. I'm pulling it. Oh, it's Fox. This one's on Fox also. So it'll be right after. Okay. So, so Saturday, December 12th, just put it on Fox at 9am. You get to watch Utah Colorado. And then afterwards, hopefully Washington and Oregon. All right, so Washington traveling to Oregon. Uh, the two teams are, uh, they have each three wins, but Oregon has an extra loss. Uh, Oregon is favored by six points. Um, this is a tricky one for me. Oregon's defense has been pretty bad this year. Um, they just allowed 21 points to Cal, for goodness sake. Um, but Washington's offense has been really, really hit or miss. Um, I have not been impressed with John Donovan at all. 
Um, I think the offense, if anything, looks worse than it did in previous years under Chris Peterson when we were much, uh, you know, denigrating that whole thing. So, mm, are they going to be able to take advantage of Oregon's foibles defensively? I don't know. And Oregon, uh, are they going to be able to score against Washington? I think so. Um, but are they going to be able to do it to the tune of six points? I'll let you know. Yeah, I'm going to take, you know I'm gonna take the, Oregon. So yeah, if you want to go I'm opposite. Ta- no, I'm going to take the Ducks, too. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll take Oregon. The problem is because Washington's pausing operations. It sounds like, I mean, so there were interviews with the athletic director and stuff today, Jen Cohen, and it sounds like they're going to do whatever they can to play this game, but, you know, Who they want to play it. Available. Yeah. Yeah. Their guy's not going to be available. Are they going to play like with a depleted roster? So yeah, I'll take Oregon in the, and lay the six if this one even happens. So hopefully, hopefully it does, but we just don't know at this point. All right. We got the Crosstown Showdown. We have USC Trojans. Heading over to the Rose Bowl to take on UCLA Bruins. All right, so this one's on at 4.30 on ABC, uh, number 15, USC, uh, going to the Rose Bowl to take on UCLA. USC's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, so this is a this is actually kind of a tricky one. Um, I think these are two, in as much as anyone in the league this year is kind of well-balanced, I think these are two teams with pretty good offenses, pretty good defenses. I think USC is largely a cut above, but I think some of that is just, you know, USC beating up on some teams that are a little bit weaker. Like a lot is based off of that Washington state game. Cause there are only four data points with USC. Um, and they are still the same team that struggled to knock off ASU and Arizona and probably should have lost to ASU. Um, so I, I think it's, you don't want to pin too much on a single game's result. Um, yes, they look dominant against Washington State, but they also look like poo-poo against Arizona. So which one are you going to get on a given day? That's always been the question under Clay Helton with USC. Uh, UCLA, I would say, has been more consistent. Um, I think the offense has um, you know, moved the ball pretty well in every game. It hasn't ever been, I think, super spectacular, but they've moved the ball pretty well in every game. And the defense has been disruptive. Um, I think the question is this: in this one is, can that defense be disruptive enough against an air raid attack? Um, because typically the way you defend an air raid is by not blitzing. You really don't want to blitz too much because they're going to pick you apart with quick passing, man coverage, that whole deal. Um, how much are they going to be able to work in their pressure packages into this? Um, are they going to be able to work in more zone blitzing? Um, what's, what's all that going to look like? How are they going to change the picture for Keaton Slovis? Um, so I think it's going to be a really interesting game. Um, and I, I I think it could really go either way. I think um, ultimately I'm going to bank on uh, Clay Helton uh, being more of a dunderhead than really Brian Norwood, who I think is essentially going to be calling the game for UCLA's defense. Um, so I'll go UCLA here. I'll go UCLA plus the two and a half. Um, that they're able to fashion a game plan enough to limit that passing attack just through, you know, kind of trickery and, and disguise and deception uh, that it flummoxes Slovis, makes this, um, you know, USC offense a little less potent. And that's enough for UCLA to eke out what I think will be, you know, relatively low scoring, like both teams under 30, something like that. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be like a one score game, too, but I just- I don't know. I just feel like USC, the defense is playing a lot better. Um, they'll be able to throw the football some if, you know, 
they've been good against teams that blitz and uh, you know UCLA likes to do that so it'll be curious to see what UCLA ends up doing but I'll take USC and lay the two and a half if it was like more than a field goal I think I would take the Bruins but under a field goal I'll take USC all right I'm so glad I'm so glad that you continue to be just so comfortable being wrong yeah 15 and 9 so that's good all right Next up, we have California Golden Bears. And they're going to go on the road to take on Washington State Cougars. All right. So this one's on on FS1 at 7.30 p.m. Uh, Cal going on the road at Washington State. Uh, Cal is a two and a half point road favorite. Um, I have no friggin' idea what to make of this game. Um, Cal... Obviously looked pretty good against Oregon last week, but this is the same team that looked dreadful um, a few weeks ago. Washington State looked dreadful against USC, but how much of that was the long layoff? Are they going to bounce back? Because this is a team that we were talking about as surprisingly good a few weeks ago. Um, You know, when they were playing what we thought was a good Oregon team relatively close and when they beat Oregon State on the road. Um, so I don't know I, how much of it was just Washington State running into a buzzsaw of USC playing its best game in a while. Um, I'm going to take the home team here. I think Washington State wins. Um, I think Cal might have shot its wad a little bit against Oregon. I'm not counting on them running that Bill Musgrave offense perfectly again. I think Oregon's defense is flat out bad. Um, I just don't know about Washington State's defense, but I've watched a lot of Oregon this year and so yeah give me washington state plus two and a half um i think they're uh better than they showed against usc last weekend i think Jaden delore will have a bounce back um i think nick rolovich will have a bounce back um and will be better able to take advantage of this cal team so I'll all take right i like it uh i'm gonna go i'll go opposite you again so we'll, we'll have a bunch of them this week i'm gonna go with my boy chase garbers i think i think washington state's gonna play better than what we saw last week against USC, but there was, you know, I think the Cal defense can kind of flummox uh, Jaden Delore a little bit. I mean, will he be a little demoralized after getting uh, taken out of that game? Um, you know, I, I like the way Cal's playing. I think they're coming into their own. And, you know, I think Washington State will play better, too. But, I mean, it's, again, it's under a field goal. If it was more than that, I'd probably take Washington State. But I think Cal's going to win this one, so I'll take Cal and lay the two and a half. All right, then our last one, we have Stanford Cardinal. Taking on Oregon State Beavers. All right, so this game is on at 7.30 on ESPNU. Wow. I didn't know anyone was getting delegated to ESPNU this year. Must be a packed weekend. Uh, Stanford traveling to Corvallis to take on Oregon State. Um, Stanford's a three-point road favorite right at the moment, but I will give you some news, some breaking news right now. Uh, Jamar Jefferson has just been cleared to play. Yeah. So that's a game-changer for me looking at this game because we just saw what Oregon State was able to do, you know, just kind of by hook and by crook against Utah with basically no one in that backfield with Jamar Jefferson back after COVID protocol. So it wasn't as if he was hurt, just kind of the COVID stuff. Um, he'll be a full powered Jamar Jefferson, maybe a little bit. Jamar Jefferson, I guess what I'm saying is give me Oregon state. They're going to win this one at home uh, because Jamar Jefferson's a stud. 
Um, and Stanford, look, I've I've watched David Shaw coach for many, many, many years now. Is he the guy he showed last week, or is he the guy he showed us in literally every other game over the last nine years? <laughs> I'm going to bank on that. So give me Oregon State. I'm going to take Oregon State, too, simply because it would be great for us to go the entire season picking Oregon State every single game and be in 5-1 and one when we did so. So uh, I'm, I'm not going to screw up that track record for this one. So Oregon State, give me the give me the beeves and getting three points. I like it. Beautiful. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back. And uh, we got a lot of questions. We'll probably have to rapid fire them. So back in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back here on the podcast of champions. We're going to do some questions. Dave, you cool with us? We're not good at rapid fire, but should we try? Let's try to be as rapid fire as we are capable of being, which is not very capable. But let's try. We'll try. Uh, crazy Pacto football idea from Frank in Sacramento. Following up on your end of season makeup game thoughts for the Apple Cup, how about they do a north-south all-star game? This could be for all players with some NFL potential. I don't hate the idea as like a potential senior bowl, but do it well after the season. Like do it in January or something. Like, cause I don't know if any real senior bowl stuff is going to happen, but if you want to do something like that, that's truly like just an all-star like nonsense game, just to like showcase for some scouts and stuff. That's fine. I don't think it'll be watchable, but I'm cool with the idea. Yeah. It's just tough because like it's Christmas right after the championship week and then you got bowls and all that stuff. So I, I mean, yeah, that's going to be a tough one, but it, it would be neat to do something, but this is probably not the year to do it either. But, no, I would just try to work in what I was saying earlier, just push the Pac-12 championship game back a week and try to work in meaningful games. And then, you know, UCLA and Stanford have gone a lot of years without playing. So why don't you match those two up, you know, yeah. but whatever, like just do stuff like that, but try to get USC and Colorado to play, try to get Washington and Oregon to play if they can't play this weekend. All right. All right. This is from, uh, Paul. Uh, how far left Ryan and Dave, thanks for the pod. I love listening to what do you two talk about? <laughs> I once wrote in about two years ago to thank you for the small amount of politics. You let slip into the show. <laughs> oh, how things have changed. Have I really been listening to this for over two years? Ugh. freedom question. Ooh, Dave, I have a hypothetical for you. Let's say that the pandemic continues in its current state and that individual liberties regarding personal interactions continue to decrease. At what point would you believe that it's gone too far? And what would your reaction be? This is a sincere question. Uh, so it's a long list of things at which I'm supposed to answer whether I think these have gone too far. Is that your understanding of I this? I think so. Yeah. It's, it's, it's supposed to be like in like descending or ascending order, I believe. I okay. Know. So going to a stadium to watch football. No, I don't think that would be too far. Going to a church with no limits on attendees. No, I don't think that would be going too far. Going to a movie. No, I don't think that would be going too far. Cousins wedding reception. Cousins. Uh, no, I don't think that would be. I mean, just don't have group gatherings that are indoors. I don't know. Like if people want to have a wedding reception outside, I don't really care. Fine. Uh, just 
you know, I don't know, man. Like, yeah. Okay. All right. So, Paul, let's just, I, I understand your thought experiment here. Here's my thing. This is my thing, is this isn't freedom to do these things. This is freedom to gather into a group to spread an illness to people. So you're you're basically saying this is my freedom to behave individually the way I would like with no regard for anyone else. And that's fine if that's your personal philosophy. It's not mine. I think we have obligations to other people, other people we don't know, other people who may have absolutely no bearing on our lives. We have obligations to them. Part of living under a society and a government, whatever, is having a structure for those obligations we have to other people. What this pandemic is bringing to light is that some of those things cause friction. Um, and there are lots of them that do. It's, you know, the classic, um, you know, uh, well, there's just a lot of different ways that this can come out. But it's it's all about whether you can wrap your head around what do I owe other people that I potentially do not know? Because it's not, am I going to get sick? It's not if my sister is going to get sick or my cousin at her wedding is going to get sick. It's whether my cousin's friend who's coming to the wedding is going to fly on a plane and meet her grandparents after this wedding. And those grandparents aren't even going to get sick. But the grandparents that they play checkers with every week are going to get sick. And it's going to be because of this weird snowballing effect from this interaction that I did. So, yeah, you can go to your cousin's wedding reception. I don't really... I think the state mandates on this stuff are due to the fact that people aren't limiting these interactions enough to decrease the spread of this disease. But you have to keep these things in mind. Like, it's not just what am I doing to myself? Because even if you think you're being really good, if you're the kind of person who's going to a wedding reception, you're not being that good. You're not being that stringent about social distancing. So you're seeing other people after you're at that wedding reception. There's a famous example of this where there was a main wedding where none of the people at the wedding actually got seriously ill, but they spread it to like 30 people in Maine, some of whom died just because of their presence there. Um, and so that's the kind of way I'm thinking about it. Um, and so from like a freedom angle, I think basic freedoms are kind of what I'm talking about, which is life. That's a freedom that we should afford people when we can, um, which we don't we, we when we're doing these sorts of things. Are taking that away from people in a meaningful way, like and I'm not trying to accuse anybody who goes to a wedding of killing people because that's an awful way to think about this thing. But when we group together, when we congregate, we are creating more possibilities of this thing spreading and killing people. Um, and I think it's important to be cognizant of that at all times. All of these things, like it sucks that we can't do these things. Absolutely sucks. And I hate that it has to be limited from like a mandated way, but we're not doing a good job of doing it on our own. And I think the worst part of this whole experience, and I'll be done with my soliloquy in a second, is that it has lasted nine full months of this soft lockdown crap. I think what it should have been, and this is what we talked about way back in March. I remember Ryan and I having a discussion about this. Hit it hard. If you want to do a lockdown, do it for two months, pay everyone to stay home and then call it a day, because by that point, you'll be at where <clears throat> you'll be at where Europe was in the summer. Right. Where it wasn't a it wasn't even a thing. They were doing their soccer matches. They were living their lives, the whole thing. And yeah, it spiked back up at the end of it. But I think everyone could live with what's happening right now 
if there had been a hard lockdown in the spring and then you do another hard one in December and January and knock it back down. What's I think driving everyone insane, me included, is that it has been nine months of this soft stuff because whatever, the government isn't strong enough. People are protesting too much. Whatever it is, instead, we've ended up with nine months of your limited freedoms to talk about that. But this limited life that everyone is living right now, it's awful. It's a horrible experience. And I wish it was not happening. In my perfect world, nothing like this would be happening. It would have been two months of hard lockdown, pay everyone to stay home, six months of good life, two months of hard lockdown, pay everyone to stay home. All right. Well, that wasn't rapid fire, but we got what you got your point there. All right. Um, and then the football question. Uh, and he also says he went to the DMV recently. It was ferocious. It made the pre-COVID DMV seem efficient. Yes, I've gone three times in the last week and a half. It's awful. Um, football question. Uh, given the way that all current college football players will retain their class and eligibility for next year, which programs does this help in 2022? Which does it hurt? Which got left behind because they had a good 2019 class? For example, Utah had a great 2019 class. Too bad they couldn't have had the same class for two consecutive years. On the other hand, maybe it's a positive. The current class gets an extra season to develop. What are your thoughts? Ryan, you're the man. Oh, thanks, uh, Paul. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's going to depend on who sticks around. I mean, it's, this is going to be like that NCAA tournament team that has, it's a small team that has like a senior point guard and senior power forward. And like, the, there's a whole bunch of seniors on the squad. They've played together for years. Um, does a place like maybe like an Oregon state get more guys to stick around that not, aren't necessarily going to be jumping into the draft in a place like Oregon or USC, maybe more people leave cause they think they're going to be, uh, make it in the NFL. So maybe it helps the teams that aren't the traditional powers that they, they get more of these guys to stick around and get an extra year. I don't know. It's hard to say, but it's, it's going to depend on who wants to, you know, people might opt out. People might get dropped. Like, there's a lot of stuff that could happen. Yeah, totally impossible to say at this point. Yeah. Let's go to Perk. Um, hope everybody's doing well and staying safe out in California. My first question is for, man, these are long. First question is for Ryan. Have you ever considered lending your voice uh, to doing some knockoff Tony Robbins motivational tapes? Maybe uh, carving a niche in telling people what they need to hear, like, quote, don't buy a brand new car when you're making under $40,000 a year, or, quote, stop getting Tweety Bird tattoos instead of what they want to hear. I'd be happy to chip in and help pay legal fees. Ball is in your court. Hmm, that'd be kind of fun. That would be a lot of fun. Tips. Thank you. Just, be like, great at just like dumb things like that. I like that. Okay, Dave, in answer to my question last week about Harbaugh, you said Michigan was in a super desirable situation and that uh, demographic shifts may make it less so over time. What leads you to think that I've never heard that take before, as I've never heard that take before? I want to say um, now this might be old information, but I remember reading that Michigan's uh, population was slowly declining um, and that birth rates were uh, starting to drop. So I think that was what I was basing that off of. It could be false. Many things I say on this show are, but that's um, I know from like a long term standpoint, looking at Michigan as a job, I think that's a consideration. Or I remember reading that at any point. All right. And then these are for both of us. God, there's a lot here. Both of uh, the programs you cover had their fair share of issues and recruiting despite having coaches who have previously been successful in that department. What do you guys think is the reason for a lack of success or perceived lack of success in recruiting for USC or UCLA? Is it difficult to, if it is it difficult in admissions, school administration issues, lack of strategy, et cetera. Can I answer for both of us? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, shitty coaches. Yeah. I think that's, that's it. Um, 
that's yeah. I, I don't know where Clay Helton, if you said, I mean, they've had, they've had some good assistance, but like Clay Helton is not, you know, this is his first time being a head coach. Chip yeah. Kelly, and, and Chip Kelly no, doesn't like to. Recruit. Yeah. He doesn't really like it. Uh, for back in August, there were rumors about having a second Rose bowl game in the spring in case the big 10 and PAC 12 had the season. This got me wondering why in a normal season, there aren't two Rose bowls when it's a part uh, of the playoff semifinal, like they had when the BCS title game was in Pasadena. I would think all parties involved would be supportive of that. I don't think the city of Pasadena is, or would be. Yeah. They I don't seem don't to if, like games there. Right. Yeah. I don't know if they would be, but also um, that was always a little bit weird when they did that for the BCS. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, they kind of gotten away from the traditional Rose bowl a little bit anyway in the past. So I'm not, I mean, I love it when it can be Pac-12 and Big Ten anyway, but um, it's 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 fine. I, I think it's fine as is. Just keep it as a semifinal. You don't need to you don't need to play an extra Rose Bowl game. And then he has a history politics question for Dave. It said every president has a crisis, and their ensuing response can make or break their presidency. What crisis did Bill Clinton and Barack Obama face, and what do you think of their response to said crisis? Hope you guys have a great week from Perk. Oh, boy. Uh, okay, so Obama, I mean, uh, I think pretty obviously the financial crisis, and I thought he hor- uh, he handled it horribly. Um, that was an opportunity with control of both houses to make some real transformative change. Instead, he handed over a bunch of money to the banks um, and basically allowed them to skate free um, from their many, many crimes against uh, the uh, citizens of the United States. So I thought he handled it horribly. I thought that's a stain on his record, and hopefully it will get him um, properly um, assessed uh, once he was tr- once history gets over how cool he is. Um, and then, uh, you know, a lot of other minor things. But uh, Bill Clinton... Yeah, it, I don't know. Was it the impeachment stuff? I mean, yeah, I mean, that's probably the most like, you know, kind of lurid uh, scandal. Um, I thought his, you know, NAFTA was, I thought, horrible. Um, you know, I, I think the free trade deal uh, was pretty bad for jobs and the economy and uh, the real economy of like people actually making money in this country. Um, but on top of that, uh, the the impeachment scandal, I thought it was, you know. Uh, obviously a stain on the presidency to have, uh, an out and out, um, you know, uh, I don't know if I want to get into too garish the terms, but somebody who is, um, uh, well, frankly, he's been accused, credible, credibly accused of rape, um, on top of all these things that I think in a, in a new light, thinking about a president, you know, I think it was kind of used for jokes at the time, but thinking about a president who was, how old was Monica Lewinsky when she was working as an intern in the White House. I think early 20s, I believe. Yeah, I mean, think about that in the context of like how we understand this whole thing now. So she was born in 73, so she was in her like mid-late 20s. Um, just the power dynamics at play, what he was actually doing there, um, it's gross. Like the whole thing is gross. Um, I thought it was handled in a gross way. Um, and, you know, obviously a lot of that was in part due to hyper-partisanship, um, but also just a gross dude. Um you know, taking advantage of his power in many, many gross ways. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's his biggest challenge that he had to face or the biggest, what was the phrasing here? Um, the biggest, uh, what crisis did they face? But I thought both of them handled the main crises. If they were calling them those two things, uh, horribly. All right. 
we got what's up next all right this is ryan who wishes he didn't care cripes uh thank you for sticking with this conference love you seeing the cucks not a typo lose again is always a joy recognizing that i am a biased husky it felt like their preseason perception was primarily based on the belief that somebody out west must be good to me they lost a couple of games last year and could have lost more barely beat the fourth best team in the big 10 in the rose bowl and lost a lot of proven talent i'm not suggesting you should have rated washington as the cream of the dust bowl crop but reflecting back to the preseason, did you actually believe Oregon would be really good, or was it more that you, that someone had to be picked number one? Um, all right, let's start with that. Um, I did think they would be pretty good. I think I bought into um, Cristobal actually being good, and I went away from my initial read on Cristobal, which is that he was basically Jim Mora, um, you know, hyper recruiter, rah rah guy, but not necessarily super like great you know, X's and O's guys who's going to get these guys all coached up. Um, and I think I underestimated the like two years post Levitt effect. Um, you know, the, the, <laughs> this, this defense, um, maybe just kind of losing a little bit of what they had, uh, initially. Um, so yeah, I think I underestimated some things, but I actually thought they would be pretty good. I don't think I thought they were going to be like super elite, but I thought they were, I mean, I picked them to be undefeated. Um, yeah. in the Pac-12 season. So um, I did think they were going to be really good. I thought they were pretty good, too. Just, I mean, they've recruited at a very high level, uh, a little bit better than Washington. Washington was getting, uh, you know, even though it was a similar system stuff, but you're you know, a new coach, there's going to be some changes there. So it's we knew it was going to be a weird year, and you'd kind of go with blue chips in this kind of situation. They're the blue chip of the North right now. So, yeah, there was definitely signs that they there could be problems, and we've seen those problems. So those signs were correct, but not knowing what to expect for them this season, um, you're kind of banking on something that you've been familiar with, you know, and, and Washington, I mean, Oregon was up there and thought they would still be pretty good. Yep. And then on another note, how do you feel about second half adjustments? It seems like these football geniuses should be able to think critically and make adjustments a little quicker. For example, when Stanford is in their goal line offense on first and 10 from their own 25, do Coach K and Jimmy Lake really need to wait until halftime to realize that they should not run their base nickel package? <laughs> Bless their hearts. Thanks again. Ryan, who wishes he didn't care. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they're a real thing. Um, I think that sort of thing is just, you know, that's just a bad call at the wrong time. Um, but I've seen, you know, lots of, I, I think uh, for me personally, UCLA, the first two years under Jim Mora, their defensive coordinator, Lou Spanos, was really good at halftime adjustments. And I think it's more about, okay, what one thing are they really emphasizing this week? Okay, that's the thing we need to really emphasize when we're talking about this at halftime. Like that's the thing we need to go back to because they've got all this stuff more or less game planned out. Like they've got an idea of what they're going to try to run, but then they're they're the actual, you know, offense that they bring out or whatever in the first half might emphasize one of those things really, really heavily. So you need to reinforce something. Um, That's generally what I see with the adjustments. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. All right. uh, This one, uh, we have a voicemail. I'll I'll get that in a minute, but this is uh, from Mike. Full share, Texas, Santa Clara County, and football. David and Ryan, I love the podcast, except when it veers widely off topic. I mean, uh, we're usually off topic. And personal opinion starts being subsidized, uh, substituted for facts. In last week's podcast, David went completely off the rails while discussing Santa Clara County and their COVID-19 rules. While reasonable people can debate whether football should be played during a pandemic, let's not assert our assumptions as fact. As of December 6th, Santa Clara County's ICU available bed capacity has decreased from 30% to 16%. 
which is a fact. But when David claims they've done a great job protecting their citizens, that's an opinion. In the future, if David's going to claim that football, college, and pro is causing greater spread of COVID-19, could he be bothered to present some facts? For example, what is the positivity rate of 100 normal Stanford students compared to 100 Stanford football players? David asserts that when NFL teams have players test positive, that they are increasing the spread of COVID in the community. Is there any evidence to back that up? Or since they are quarantined, as soon as they test positive, is it actually decreasing the spread? I don't claim to know the answers, but then again, I don't think David does either. I think I love a good tangent as much as the next guy, but before we get sanctimonious talking about COVID, how about we admit that we all don't have nearly enough facts and most of us are simply trying to do the best we can. Keep up the good work. Mike from Fullshear, Texas. Thanks, Mike. Um, so just because I say things in a loud, confident voice doesn't mean that they're any more factual than anything else that you just said in this thing. I mean, it's 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 opinions. We're, we're doing a podcast. Uh, this is not a news program, as you may have surmised at some point or another. Um, so just because I say things confidently does not mean that they are not my just personal opinion. That said, there is some basic logic we can apply to this spread of this disease. No, I cannot point to you any information that will tell you that football teams in specific are spreading this virus. If you can find a study that has even looked at that, I would be loving, I would love to look at it, but I am not a contact tracer. What I am is a, a human being who's thought about this. And if these guys are getting ill, they are meeting with people who are outside of their programs, right? Because this does not just gestate. It does not just come from like the grass on the football field. It's from other human beings, those other human beings that they are interacting with because they are not in a bubble. So if they are interacting with those human beings who are not in a bubble and they are tested, say, even the next day or the day after that or whatever, there are still hours before they were tested where they were more than likely contagious, more than likely, right? So in those hours, did they interact with anybody else? And maybe this person didn't. Maybe that person didn't. Maybe this person didn't. But did that other person do it? Oh, yeah, they interacted with 10 other people. Okay, well, then they potentially have spread it to the community. And I'm not saying any individual is doing this. I'm saying on the broad scale of things, when you have these situations that are creating potential, and this goes back to the thing I was talking uh, to uh, Paul about um, in the previous question, but the more opportunities there are for people to gather together during a pandemic, the more, uh, and this is, I'm not, these aren't, this isn't just opinion. This is just an axiom. The more you interact during a pandemic with groups of people where you can't literally trace where they've been and what they've done, which they're not doing. They're not contact tracing these guys at all times. Like they're keeping a record where it's the, the kids themselves who have to like dictate, okay, um, I've been around these guys and a lot of times they're kids. They're going to lie about that stuff. But anyway, Anytime you're interacting and putting all these guys together and then you're spreading them out and they're seeing their families and they're seeing their coaches and their coaches' families are seeing other people and their coaches are going home at night and they're coming back together and then they're spreading out again, you're going to increase spread. Now, that's just if, – if you don't agree with that, I'm sorry, but that's just – you know, this is just basics of like any kind of germ theory, so – it's fine. I mean, we can disagree on that. Um, I'm not going to try to convince you if you don't think that that's a real thing. But I'd invite you to to think about how are any of these guys getting sick? If they're in a perfect closed box where they're getting tested and testing is the true thing that's keeping them from getting ill, 
How are any of them coming down with it? Yeah, it's uh, I think the the good thing about the daily testing is you're going to try to stop the spread within the program. The program. But, yeah. And I think I think by the fact that a lot of these programs have not had major and huge outbreaks, it has happened. So I don't think it's not. I mean, ASU had a pretty huge outbreak, but I think most of them are limiting it. You know, most of what we're seeing is one or two guys get it and then contact tracing takes out, you know, another big chunk of them. Yeah. Um, but some of these programs have gotten it huge, like they've gotten a big outbreak. Um, but I think it's done a relatively good job of preventing it within the programs. But these guys are not just interacting with the people who are getting tested three times a week or four times a week. Yeah. They're interacting with other people. That's how they're getting sick. So if they are doing that, and I'm not denigrating them for doing it, they are sociable football players. Like they're kids in college, whatever. It's not on them. It's on all of the responsible adults who are in charge of whether or not this should continue going on. And that's where I think this falls apart for me because I don't – fundamentally, I don't consider this essential work. I don't consider the college football season essential. I think it's really nice to have. I think it's really great that we get to talk about it on this show. I love college football. I don't think it's an essential thing to have happen during a pandemic. And that's where this whole thing falls apart for me. And you, Mike, probably do. Ryan, I think, leans much more towards let's just do this thing. For me, it's it's much more in a middle ground to let's not do this. All right, let's go to Peter Vancouver. Um it's it's your turn, I think. You go ahead. All right. So this is from Peter in Vancouver. Uh, Non-conference games, oh, might have been. Uh, Gentlemen, originally there were some good non-conference matchups planned for the 2020 season, but alas, they did not happen. But based on what we know now, my question is, who would be favored in these matchups if they were to be played now? I've picked the top non-conference opponent for each school. For reference, I have their current records. For the few schools that have played non-conference games, I have their conference record followed by their overall record. All right. So Arizona 0 and 4 at Texas Tech 3 and 6. Got to go. Got to go Texas Tech there. Yeah. Uh BYU at ASU. This might be close, but I think BYU would be like a slight favorite. Yeah, BYU would be favored. Uh TCU 5 and 4 at Cal 1 and 3. Um again, I think TCU would be a slight favorite. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I don't know who the 5 are against, but I would say yes probably. Colorado at Texas A&M. Um, Texas A&M would be a pretty big favorite. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Ohio State at Oregon. Jesus, that'd be a bloodbath. Yeah, Ohio State, big favorite, that one. Uh, Oregon State at Oklahoma State. I think um, you're talking about an Oklahoma State 14-point favorite, 10-point favorite, something like that. Yeah, I would, I'd would. i probably go like 10, yeah. Yeah. Uh, BYU at Stanford. Again, BYU by a touchdown to 10. Something yeah, like that. I would probably say something like that. Uh, UCLA at San Diego State. I think UCLA would be like a six-point favorite. Touchdown something. favorite, something like that. Yeah. Uh, USC versus Alabama. Uh, Alabama would probably be like 19.5-point favorite. I'd say two touchdowns. Okay. Uh, BYU at Utah. Huh. Again, I think BYU is going to be favored. Um, yeah. Maybe like five, six points, something like that. Yeah. Michigan at Washington. Uh, Washington probably by like a touchdown. Yeah. And then Houston at Washington State. Houston's three and two. Washington State one and two. Pick them. Yeah. I would say like, yeah, pick them. Pick them. Makes sense. 
All right. All right. We got a voicemail. Let me play it for you. Haven't let's do it, so hopefully it's good. Well, Hello, Ryan. This is a really bad quality voicemail. Um, I can, what he said, he was like, uh, yeah, I don't know. This is, uh, it's too, it was too poor quality. I'm sorry about that. Oh, no, no. He wants us to sing all right now. He it wants was, us. It, so six game losing streak dating back to last year, but I'm just wondering who is warming up the vocal cords because at two and two headed into Corvallis, this team is going to end up with a winning record and whatnot. If not both of you, promise me you would sing this. Keep it mediocre, boys. Uh, I'm not a good singer. You wouldn't want me singing, but that was a good song. Yeah, I gotta hang on. All right now, baby, it's all right now. That's awful. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Sorry, that's all I got. All right, I gotta go back to the original email on that. I'll find it at some point. Um, Okay. Uh, Is it me or you next? Oh, uh, for Hitler Day. I can do this. Uh, D. Oppresso Lieber. Um, some liberation thing, maybe? I don't know. A Several free aspect- man out of an oppressed man. Uh, it's the special forces motto. Okay. Uh, several aspects of play from scrimmage uh, that have been affected by COVID are immediately obvious reviewing the film. Starters are unexpectedly absent and then come back rusty. Tackling across the league has been atrocious because of lost strength and conditioning in the summer. And teams with scheme changes are behind the curve in terms of installation. What's harder to pick up on has been special teams play, which seems much worse to me this year. But I can't say for certain. I'm thinking I'm seeing longer kick returns, more penalties, more turnovers, and just general sloppier play. Have you boys seen the same thing? Never really been clear how special teams our practice or the personnel gets assigned. Do you have any insights as to why this might be harder hit by COVID issues? So I, I have noticed this as well. I've noticed a lot more blocked kicks too. It seems like a lot of blocked punts, a lot of blocked kicks. Um, and just seems, yeah, I would agree that it's generally sloppier. I don't know. I, I'd have to like actually do an analysis, which I'm not willing to do, but anecdotally that does seem to be true. Special teams is weird. Um, so they'll often devote practice time to it. Um, all the coaches tend to get involved, even if there is a special teams coordinator. Um, like you'll have your line coaches handling, you know, either the, the you know, punt block team or the punt protection team, so on and so forth. You'll have the main coordinator, whoever's in charge. He might be the one who's like developing the the, the you know, the blocking routes and different things like we're going to return this right. Here's how it's going to set up. Here's where your lanes are. Um, but it's it's more of a team effort than maybe any other position group because it is essentially a side of the ball. It's just kind of, you know, in the back end. Um, the only thing I can think is maybe it's a little bit more um, of, a, of an afterthought beyond the other stuff. Like, I don't think special teams – I remember from UCLA practices – Special teams generally wouldn't even be practiced besides the kickers themselves just kicking off to the side until the third or fourth practice usually. And I wonder with limited practice time if that's just the piece of it that's kind of fallen by the wayside. And so they're doing some of it like enough to get the stuff installed, but not enough to like, okay, technically this is exactly how you're supposed to deal with opposing, you know, field goal blocks and a pump and punt blocks. Here's how you have to adjust your steps. 
you know, that sort of stuff that might be more emphasized in a longer lead up to the season and more practice time um, in the pre in the you know preseason part of the season. Um, that's the only thing I can think that maybe it's a limited practice time issue um, because I, I know it's been de-emphasized in the past, um, just like relative to offense and defense. So yeah. maybe even more so this year. Maybe. I mean, we've seen some teams like be bad. Like Cal was pretty bad for a while. USC has actually probably got better. Um, they hired a new special teams coordinator is actually good. So I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's across the board kind of thing, but I, I agree with what Hits is saying. Like there's been, you know, we've seen some drop off and things just from the lack of preparation, but uh, yeah, I, I haven't noticed like a systematic special teams drop off, but definitely some teams, it seems to be worse. Yeah. All right. This is from Kevin uh, to score or not to score. That is the question. Uh, first off, if this has been discussed, feel free not to read the rest. Okay, does anybody really think Felton... Okay, so this is about the situation I was talking about. So um, I'm going to abbreviate Kevin just because it's a long email and we're running short on time. But Kevin's asking about the Felton play at the end of the game, whether you should score at the end or not. Kevin comes down, it seems pretty hard on the just score. Score the touchdown and go up because you're down by a point. Um I think there's a way to think about this that is not just in terms of whether or not you're going to have the lead. It's whether or not you're going to maintain a lead and win the game. Um, A a good way of thinking about, especially end of game football, you can get a little bit, you can wild out a little bit more before the end game. But in the end game, you want to think about what decision makes it so you are most likely to win the football game. Because even with a minute to go and two timeouts for ASU, that's a lot of variables still left out there. Like that's a lot of ways that ASU could pull back and win the game. So there's a few different things that could happen. Um, UCLA scores the touchdown with Dimitri Felton and they don't get the two point conversion. So now ASU has win odds on their final drive, right? They can win the game just driving down the field and scoring a touchdown. Uh, you score the touchdown and you uh, get picked off on the two point conversion and it gets returned for two points. Uh, that changes it to a three-point game where they suddenly have field goal odds. That's a rare occurrence, but it needs to be built into the calculation. Uh, then there's the, the way it did happen, which is you score the touchdown, you get the two-point conversion, you're still allowing them a minute and two timeouts to go down the field, score the touchdown, tie the game, take it to overtime, which is a 50-50 proposition. And that's if both teams are relatively even, which I think they kind of were. Um, so that's all if you go for the touchdown. If you elect to drain the clock, so ASU has two timeouts, you're running it in from the three. Let's say Felton drops to a knee right then. You force them to take another timeout. Then it's second down from the one-inch line or the one-foot line or whatever. You take another knee. You force them to take their second timeout. Now it is third down. You're from about the yard line, maybe the two-yard line if you took a really bad knee. But you can take one of those quick knees that just goes right behind the center. But you're now, you know, a yard and a half, let's say, from the goal line. You're on third down. You can just run in for a touchdown right there. And I think UCLA, with their ability this year, they could probably just sneak it um, and more than likely get the touchdown. Even if they don't, they've then set themselves up for. So if you make it at that point, you've you've got a touchdown and you've probably drained an additional seven or eight seconds off the clock with the knees you've taken. Um, And you can then score the touchdown and you've got a minute to go, but now they don't have their timeouts when you kick off. So that's good. You've now created a better situation for yourself. If you don't do that, you drain an additional 40 seconds off the clock on the running play because they no longer have timeouts. So instead of kicking the field goal or scoring whatever with a minute to go, you score with 20 seconds to go or thereabouts. 
the scoring play takes a little bit of time too. That takes like three seconds. So suddenly the kickoff, so say you make that field goal, which again, it's not automatic, but from that distance, which is about two yards, that's a PAT. You should make those at about a 96% clip, something like that. You make the field goal, you're up by two, but the score doesn't really matter at that point because it's going to be a, a about 15 seconds that they're going to have off yeah. of a full kickoff. Um, and so I think you have to do all of that math. You have to have that kind of in the back of your head. I don't know that it's automatic one way or the other. I would err on the side of cutting down the time because a minute and a minute and two timeouts is an eternity in college football. Um, and it didn't turn out to be. I thought the defense played well. But I probably would have just from a maximizing win odds standpoint, I think I would have opted for the two knees and a field goal. Um, because I think that ultimately removes more of the win odds for ASU. Yeah. I, I think you're down if you score. I don't, it's hard to complain when it was like, I think the Vikings or no, it was, uh, I believe it was the Cowboys. They were, they were up by one and scored and then it allowed, I think it was the Vikings. I forget who it was, but come back and, and tie it. You know, they, they scored a touchdown by at that point. You're already ahead. Definitely don't score, you know? Uh, try to run more clock, but you can, if you're behind the game, you can argue that you should try to score, but whatever. Yeah. Um, Cal team. We expected this is from uh, James. Uh, if not for the Rona, Cal would be more than likely competing for the North. I know other teams have been affected. However, we lost our best defensive lineman and linebacker due to COVID and haven't had our full strength offensive line to date. Cal was uh, finally nearing at full strength with the return of two offensive linemen, the linebacker and tight end. Christopher Brown still doesn't appear to be 100% last year. They held the Ducks to 17 points with uh, a generational quarterback while Cal was starting a freshman third-string quarterback. We had about 23 players out for OSU, and with a makeshift offensive line, controlled the game and lost on a block punt. Block PAT, I think. Uh, or was, was that a different one? You know, Cal was con- also controlled the game against Ferd without a healthy offensive line and lost on a blocked field goal and PAT. Yeah, that was the PAT one. Uh, they just weren't ready for UC- the UCLA game, and the entire D- defensive line did get a chance to practice with the team due to contact tracing, but they probably still lose this game. Maybe Hith troll-, troll all day should focus more on his team and break down the Ducks and Shuck's quarterback mechanics, offensive line, and D-line. Hashtag just saying. Hashtag roll on you bears. Okay, good. I Thanks. love it. I, I, little, love, I love big, big cow fan. Yeah. All right, we're going to motor through these next two. All right, so this is from Rusty Fence. Uh, Changing Pac-12 championship games rules midstream. Howdy, boys. What is stated herein may be uh, mooted by what happens this coming weekend. I if Colorado loses on Friday and Oregon loses on Saturday, but I got something stuck in my craw that I think is important, so here it goes. John Wilner has always been a very fair, impartial, and thoughtful journalist, first rate in my view. However, he seems to have got his emotional britches knotted up crotch-wise when it comes to the possibility that, pursuant to the championship protocols, an undefeated Colorado might not be able to play in the Pac-12 championship game, whereas a one- or two-loss Northern Division champion would play. According to Wilner's Twitter account, in such a scenario, we should look to Colorado to up and leave the conference for the Mountain West. Huh? Let's talk about this, boys. Clearly, Wilner has a legitimate point. The scenario he envisions would be unfair to Colorado, but mutually conflicting truths can sometimes simultaneously exist, and this is one of those situations. It would also be grossly unfair and very bad policy to change the championship protocols in midstream on an ad hoc basis in order to achieve a result that some people might like or think would be fair. All teams knew what the protocols were in advance of the season, and all were entitled to rely upon them. 
Furthermore, if any team thought the rules might be unfair to them and wanted to mount a challenge, they should have done so before the season started. In my view, it's outright poor sportsmanship to not complain or challenge protocols until after a game is played, and then for the first time belatedly complain and try to alter the rules in order to achieve a result that a particular segment of the fan base wants. Bush League stuff, to me at least. What say you, your pal on the range, Rusty? Then he says, P.S., while my comments could relate to the election, let's keep the goddamn politics out of football. It is so nice to have a neutral place, your podcast, where, regardless of political beliefs, we can all get along, enjoy each other, and share something we all love. Thanks, Rusty. Thanks, Hithliday. I mean, I mean, not Rusty. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, yeah, Hithliday, Hithliday. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we talked about this in the top of the the show. Um, it, people do have really strong opinions on it, which you know, I don't think I'm super strong. It's just like, yeah, I, making changes now. I mean, you can. Everything's changed. Like the the whole season, everything's weird. So it's not like it's you can't do it because it's that's the way it's always been done. Like nothing's always been done this way, but. Um, yeah, like just because, well, it seems like right now, Colorado and USC, if there was more games, if the both teams were like 10 and 0 or something and, you know, Washington seven and three, and maybe that makes more sense, but it's just not that much of a difference between the two. So I, it sucks and it's not Colorado's fault that they didn't get to play. But, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that were unfortunate turns of events for the, you know, for every team that's been in there. Like, you know, the, the last email about Cal, I think we've seen that a lot. So it's, it's unfortunate, but I just don't know if it's personally, I wouldn't change it now, but you know, I know other people like Wilner feel differently. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a scheduled game. I think my idea for just pushing the championship game back, I think that's a fair, uh, that would be fair. I think because it's not, it's not changing the circumstances because they were scheduled to play and it's just allowing for them to play before a championship gets decided, which I think is fine, but I wouldn't change I, I wouldn't change a scheduled game to add another one right now. Um, yeah. Aside from that championship game, which we don't have teams slated for it yet. Yeah. I just can imagine like the outcry if you change someone's game and then the game that was originally scheduled would have happened and you lost the game because the other team got COVID or something like that would just be. Yeah. That'd uh, be a bummer. That would be a tough one. Um, all right. We got one last text message. Troy die was to Andy Avalos as Sam Darnold was to clay Hilton. Good a theory as any. I would buy it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that Oregon defense has not been very good. So that could definitely be a factor. Um, sweet. Well, we finished it up. Uh, this is a long show again, David, but you know, we do what we do what we got to do. Uh, that'll wrap it up though. That's David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast of champions and we will talk to you next time. Bye!